Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Tell me why I spend so much of my time dealing with you and Larry Korea. McNulty, in my office. Today's episode, Brainstorming Ramblin'. Welcome everybody back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you back with us today. Our opening quotes were obviously in honor of uh, one of our favorite actors, Lance Reddick, who just passed away. Um, we're, I mean, gosh, dude, we're both massive, massive fans of no, this. Seriously, I'm a fan of like that guy. Okay, you know, uh, John Wick, he was a concierge. Uh, the Wire? De- Destiny. Destiny. He was Zavala on Destiny forever. He's uh, uh, from Horizon. Uh, he was on Fringe. I didn't watch Fringe. Oh, gosh. He's so good on Fringe. You know I love Fringe. Yeah, I know you love oh, Fringe. Oh, my gosh. I that. And then my favorite, one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Bosch. Bosch. Irving Jeez. Irving. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, Irving Irving. Oh, my gosh. That's a huge bummer. So um, you can tell when we recorded this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Every time that every time that we talk about, like, detective fiction- we inevitably bring we, him up. We have actually haven't. Every yeah. time we've talked about greedy cop shows or, or that type of fiction, we have specifically specifically brought him up. Yeah. Oh. Well, in in the naming in the naming show that we did. Yeah. We were talking about how we were picking names for detectives and stuff. And the Hicks. one thing the one thing I say Cade. is, it's <laughs> it's can we imagine Lance Reddick saying that name? If we can, it's a good name. Yeah, like Lance. If you imagine Lance Reddick slightly frustrated. Saying your character's name, it's a good gritty cop show name. Ah, uh, Lance Reddick. Hey, man. That's, yeah, that wasn't exactly happy news. But hey, um, you know, he's in a better place. So, all right. Today, Larry, we're going to do take two of an episode. So, yeah. so for those of you listening out there, um, we initially recorded like half of this episode and... We'd been talking for about 10, 15 minutes, and I look over at the recording screen, and I realize it's not moving. Yeah, the hard drive was full. Yeah, the hard drive was full. It was my fault for not, you know, checking it out and stuff. Thankfully, Craig, uh, Craig Nibo, our, <laughs> let, let's, you know, the guy who lets us do the, lets us use the sound booth and everything, he, he took care of us. He made sure that we're all good. Um, cause Craig's awesome. Well, and I think we forgot to tell producer Jack because we got a panicked message because <laughs> he's, he's editing and he's like, guys, where's the rest of the episode? <laughs> We're like, Oh yeah. yeah, we forgot to tell you. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> okay. So this episode is about brainstorming. Now back, I don't know, partway through last year. Uh, actually I think it might've been towards the tail end of last year. What we decided we were going to do was as as we were writing the sequel to Servants of War, which tentatively is called Instruments of Violence, we decided we were going to do episodes for on the Writer Dojo of us taking you through the process, through our process as we're going through it. So we talked to you earlier kind of about how, you know, how we were doing things. Um, so, so just a little brief recap. We signed the contract for book two. We're all excited. And the very first thing we do is we get together for a little dinner and we kind of basically go back and forth talking about um, the parts that we really, really liked. Yeah. Well, both of us reread the book yep. uh, right before that. So it was fresh in our minds, uh, which is very helpful. Anytime you guys are plotting a sequel, you know, make sure you read the previous book. 
get it fresh. We sat down. We're like, okay, what was cool? What did we want to do more of? What do, is there anything we want to avoid? Yeah. Where are we going? Like, what what's the end goal for this book? Uh, we have four main characters. What is the arc of these four main characters? What is each of them going yeah. to get from this book? And so that was our preliminary meeting. Well, like two hours sitting there till the Thai food place was like, we felt really yeah. awkward because they needed the table. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then we let a little bit of time go by, uh, mainly because we were both crazy slammed. Larry was doing gun book tour. I was. I, I had like 40-something radio interviews. Yeah. We talked about it that. Was, and it was like you had a regular job again. It was. Gunbook, though, was a big hit. Uh, so that was that was worth it. And then I'm currently working on the Jason Cordova collaboration for Monster Hunter Fever. Awesome. So after that, um, I went to one of our local uh, conventions, came back, and then Larry and I got together again, and we did an actual brainstorming session. Yeah, this was many hours uh, brought to you by Steve cooking a brisket. Oh, yes. Yeah, so Steve smoked a brisket, and we ate brisket and uh, and brainstormed. Yes. And then we actually went and recorded right afterwards while it was still fresh in our mind and recorded half an episode. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. Um, so it's pretty interesting, guys. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to you a little bit about how we brainstorm uh, in a collaborative nature. And then we'll bring in, you know, comparative differences when we talk about how we brainstorm separately as well. Yeah, we've had episodes before where we talked about idea management. Right. This is kind of a subcategory of that. So basically, the way I look at it is brainstorming is something that normally you do by yourself because, you know, you're the, you're the sole author. When it's a collaborative uh, thing, you're going to have like solo brainstorming and then you're going to bring it together and, and mm-hmm. hash it out. A little bit different process. Both are valuable and I think, you, honestly, you can use, use tricks from either. Like, um, for example, so after we sat down and did this, uh, the next step was uh, a couple days later, I wrote up a um, real preliminary outline, mm-hmm. I guess is what I call it. So mostly it was like me just noting down all the pertinent stuff we talked about uh, and kind of like, and also by, <clears throat> when you sit there and you talk it out, you get a lot of good ideas, but you don't necessarily know what you're missing, you know? Right. And so putting it on paper showed me that like, so act one, really solid. We yeah. knew exactly what we need to do for act one. Act two, fairly solid. We know pretty much what we need to do act, act two. Act three, eh, we're not really sure how far we can go. Right. It wasn't that we didn't know where we want to end up. It's like how, mu- how much can we get in this book? Right. You know, I, I think as we sat down, I think one of the interesting things that that really happened is you know, we just kind of sat down on the couch and we were just kind of spitballing back and forth. And one of the very first things we thought of was, okay, what we said was, okay, well, where are the characters now? And where do we want them to be by the end? Also too, we're like, how much time do we need to allow to elapse between these two books in order to get everything in position logistically now, depending on the type of book you write, that could be more nebulous than others. But we're writing basically uh, war fantasy, uh, and so logistics are important. They're very important. We can't just wave our hand and say the following people are in the following places. Right. Uh, we have to say this time. It takes time. This is a fantasy world. Travel is not instantaneous. They're not going to fly there. There's no. no there's no eagles. They, no. can't, they can't write any eagles. No magic eagles. Every bird thing we've had in these books has been horrific, so you don't want to write eagles. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, honestly, yeah, you really don't want to write bird things in this book. No. No. Um, but we, we went into that and we're like, okay, so basically we decided we need to give ourselves X amount of time uh, to establish this. And then we went through and we're like, okay, now what did the characters do during that time frame? And so actually, um, it's always a danger. We've talked about this in the books before our, our, in plotting episodes about flashbacks. But we also want to open with something cool. Yeah, and that's the challenge, right? And, and I was, so I was reading over the preliminary notes and because we talked about that, right? Yep. We said, we said, okay, look, we want this to be say a year or two years later. We're, and we're and a kind bunch of, of interesting yet. stuff happens in that time period. But, but not something that we want to sit down and write a book about. Correct. You know? Um, but like you said, anytime, I mean, shoot, it, any of your books, any of my books, any of our stories that, that any of you have ever read, you know that we, that we have to start with the bang. I mean, think about Monster Hunter. Yeah. Okay. The first book, how does it start? It starts with a guy throwing, throwing his boss out yeah. the window. In the first couple of pages, it turns into an action sequence with a werewolf fight. Right. Hard magic starts, uh, with, the, starts with the girl. The arrest that goes sideways. Right. Um, you know, Residue. It starts with, with a monster escaping a lab. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and, and so look, and then, and then of course, uh, Servants of War, the first, the first chapter is like everything going wrong village, for Alarian. The like, village attack. The whole village attack. You, ha- you need to start big. This is a hook. And, and anytime you think about these, these sorts of stories in these books, it doesn't matter that this is the sequel to a to to a book that is already established. Every single book that 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 you've written, Larry, the sequels, all of them start with something big. All of them start with something important, punchy to hook you in and drag you, you in. You need a hook. You need you have some to. manner of hook in the first few pages to kind of give the reader a taste of what they're sticking around for. So with Servants of War, we're like, we knew these people were going to have certain things happen to them to set stuff up for the second book, but none of them were a big flashy hook. There were some that could be pretty emotional, but also maybe not sending the right message. So for example, we have the character, we're going to have some spoilers here. We kind of can't really avoid it, I guess. You can't help it. We can't help it. Okay. So we have the character Natalia. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so she's a uh, ethnic and religious minority in this empire who is forced to fight for their army. Uh, and why do they force her to fight for the army? Because her parents are basically uh, hostages. They're political prisoners. Yes. And so if she wants her parents freed, then she has to fight. For, yep. Because she's actually got magical gifts from her god, which makes her very valuable uh, to the czar. So, but her parents are political prisoners. And so we have one of the events that happens in between books is that because she struck a deal with Kristoff, the secret policeman, um, as a show of good faith... He will give her one of her parents. Yeah. So she has to go to the gulag and pick which one of her parents, her mom or her dad, to free. Now, the interesting part of this, and, and this shows, this kind of shows the, um, the spiraling nature of, of my insanity. And that's, so you initially said, hey, you know, we should totally show a gulag. We haven't shown that yet. And, and that's a... And we've talked about it. We've talked about them in passing quite a few times within the the, con, the context of the story, but we haven't shown them. Yeah. And then and then I said, "Well, how can we make it worse?" So a lot of times our questions revolve down to, "Well, what would be really cool? 
what if, what if this, or, or wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah. And then generally I say, but how can we make it more horrific? Yeah. And so putting that emotional <laughs> choice on one of the characters right out of the gate is brutal. But the thing is, that was not something we necessarily wanted to start the book with. No. Because no. that's not a flashy scene. That's not an action scene. It's an emotional scene. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible choice for, yeah. for a girl or for a young woman to make. Uh, but it's one of those things that we did. And, uh, you know, um, so what we said, okay, what we'll do is we'll start with this big action scene that we, we had in mind. We've actually had this in mind for a while. We've had this in mind for a long time. Where we're going to open with basically a, uh, amphibious landing invasion scene. Yeah. Very D-Day. Very D-Day. Very fantasy D-Day. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we're doing is we're doing a fantasy invasion across the North Sea. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to open with this. And uh, then, once we've done that, we're going to back up and be like, we're going to have a scene from each of the main characters as to how they got to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Because where we left off uh, two years before, the war was at this position. Now the war is at this position. And again, to, to go back to what something Larry said earlier, this is, this is war fantasy. This is trench warfare fantasy. If you know anything about war, historically speaking, or war in the current, in the current state of the world, logistics is the vast majority of how, how it all goes down. You, we can't just have them show up and cross thousands and thousands or hundreds and hundreds of miles or whatever and be at their, their, their new uh, war point instantly. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we're not writing that kind of book where we can hand wave that kind of stuff. No. No, and in fact, in fact, if we did do that, it would, in my opinion, it'd be a betrayal of the first book. It would. It'd be dishonest because the first book. Think about, think about all of the different. For those of you who have read it, think about all of the different um, scenes that we had about the slow churn of this type of war. So we have them going from trench to trench to trench. They're, they're, they're taking a week days, weeks, sometimes months to cross just a couple trenches to retake them or to defend them. Plus we've had scenes showing what, what that has done to the rest of the country. Cause it's just kind of like sucked the life out of everything else. And so we couldn't just wave our hands and be like, poof. And now they're doing this. Right. You know, it wouldn't be authentic. Now it depends on the kind of book you're writing. Cause if you're writing the kind of high fantasy novel where armies of a hundred thousand armored knights take to the field, against a hundred thousand orcs, you know, and they just like, if you're writing that kind of thing, but it, that's great. I mean, you can write that kind of book and pull it off. And a lot of people have, but it just depends on how nitty gritty you're getting. And so that's one of those things when you're, when you are brainstorming, just like, what is my level of like realism? What is my level of, because obviously on the realism, we also have giant stompy robots. Okay. So, so it's not like we don't, we don't fudge, uh, for cool factor, you know? We do that. Plus, we also made, oh, speaking of which, we also brainstormed some really cool ideas to uh, improve our object. I mean, they're called objects. Uh, our giant stompy golem, golem yes, suits. Yes, we did. Including uh, including mounted mortars and crews riding upon the back of them. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting when, when you sit down to talk about these sorts of things. Um, and, and I had a moment where... where where I saw your eyes do this. And I know you had a moment where you saw me do this, where one of us would, would all of a sudden have this really cool idea. 
And then the other person's eyes would just kind of go wide and go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's it right there. There was a couple characters who were like, okay, how are we going to draw this person into this situation? Because we had one in particular, Amos, um, who if you read the book, you know Amos is basically a, a, a Jewish magi, all right? He's a, he's a Jewish wizard who is a golem animator, okay? Yeah. And um, he's also a fugitive. He's a wanted fugitive. And so at the end of the book, he wound up with the heroes uh, who are now conspiring against the big, bad, evil, bad guy. And the thing is, the big, bad, evil, bad guy... Uh, wants this guy, and we we need to keep Amos close to the main characters because he's training Ilarion, the main character, how to be a wizard. Yeah, the, the first the first book was very much how all of these disparate characters all sort of end up um, encountering each other and then coming together. Yeah, and making right? an alliance, an uneasy alliance. And so, book two, we really needed to make sure, or we really want to make sure, I guess I should say that these people are together because it, you know, it's an ensemble, you know, they, they, they need to be together. We need to see how they're teaching each other, how they're learning from each other, how they're defending each other, how they're struggling together. And, and so it was one of our biggest challenges was, okay, well, how, do how, we, how do we get Amos involved in this? How because, do we take the fugitive, the most wanted man in the world and hide him in plain sight with the heroes? And the idea that we came up with was amazing and brilliant and actually kind of awesome. And uh, neither one of us had thought of this before this no. brain. I don't know which one of us actually came up with it. It, it all uh, just kind of, I, uh, I think it was a, it was a kind of a, like a, a domino effect of yeah. a whole bunch of ideas. But we figured out a way to, and it was, it was one of those moments of brilliant clarity. We're like, oh my gosh, everything clicks. And it opened up so much world building story potential because he's our world building character in that he's the one who actually knows how stuff works. So he's the best character to explain to the reader how the cosmology works, how the religion works, how the magic works. He's the knowledgeable type. He's the academic. He's the scholar. Yeah. And, and, and he's done, he's done magic. Yeah. He's, he's enacted magic upon this world numerous times. He's the only one of those characters that has that expertise. So to be able to bring him to the main character, but we did find a way. Should we go ahead and spoil it? No. no heck no, no. That's too good. It's too good. It's too good. But we came up with something that's also built another character who was one of our other main characters. And it just, in Kristoff, the secret policeman, who we established as like this total manipulative. He's a total jerk face. Total jerk face. And he came up with something. It was, it was such a Kristoff idea. Yeah. And so, yeah. So it was... The beautiful thing of this, when when you guys are brainstorming, guys, a collaborative brainstorming, you will come up with stuff that you would never, ever, ever have come up with on your own. No. And it's, it's such a cool feeling. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to kind of talk to you about some of the different little tips and tricks that we've, that we've discovered along the way. So we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Producer Jack here. This week's episode, we're looking at the third of Author Media's Ten Commandments for Writers. Commandment number three, thou shalt persist in thy craft. While everyone can write, few can write well. It's the difference between running to catch the bus and running in the Olympics. Most people can run to catch a bus, but only a few are willing to put in the time and effort to train for Olympic-level running. In 2016, 46 Americans won Olympic gold medals, but only 29 novelists were number one New York Times bestsellers. Training in the craft of writing is not easier than training for the Olympics. While learning to write well involves less sweat, 
It may require more tears, as any successful author will tell you. So what should you do to train for Olympic-level writing? To find out, head on over to authormedia.com or listen to their podcast, Novel Marketing. Check it out. Welcome back. All right. So the first half, we were talking a little bit about some of our process. And and I think the, the part where we left off on, which I think is really interesting, and, and it's the benefits, right? It's the benefits to brainstorming collaboratively, where you're, you're consistently bouncing an idea off another person, and you're kind of ping-ponging these ideas back and forth. And, and in doing so, it, it's almost like it's almost like the ideas gain velocity as you're ping-ponging them back and forth to continue with the, with the metaphor. And, and that velocity at a certain point, it takes shape and it, and it starts to, and it starts to take on, I don't know, a life of its own. Yeah. It's one of the things is when you're on your own, when you're, when you're brainstorming by yourself, you will have an idea that's actually not a good idea. Lots of not good ideas. But you don't know it because there's not anything to test it against. It's just in your head. And the thing is, obviously, as a writer, in your head, you're going to have ideas that are bad ideas you think are good ideas. But that's actually a good thing because, guys, you have to have ego to do this. Yeah. If you come along and you think all your ideas suck, you're never going to write a book. you got you got to have faith in yourself. That said, some of your ideas are crap. But you won't know until you get them on paper and you get analytical about it. Well, and especially in the beginning. Oh, yeah. You get better as you go. Uh, I mean, how many times, Larry, have, have, have you had the young writer come up to you at a convention and say, I have this really neat idea about this, this, and this. And a lot of times that idea is terrible. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Yeah. It's, it's almost always terrible. Yeah. And they want to share it with you and you don't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. <laughs> but well, hey, man, I, I try to encourage them actually. But, hey, but, but on the flip side, sometimes that idea that sounds terrible in execution, in might execution be really is good. good. I mean, let's talk about uh, Jim Butcher. Okay. He had that Furies of Cauldron series, mm-hmm. which was basically Pokemon meets the Lost Legion. Oh yeah. If you describe that to somebody, it's not going to sound- It sounds dumb. Yeah. It's not going to sound good. But then it, in the hands of someone like Jim, it's wonderful. It's, all, it's excellent. Yeah. And so, but you guys got to realize you're going to have bad ideas. You're going to have a lot of bad ideas. Yeah. And that's okay. The beautiful thing though about- a collaboration of peers, though, is when you start bouncing stuff, and when one of us says something that's actually a bad idea, the other one is like, mm, and then it forces the guy that had the idea to go, uh, okay, yeah, that's, f-. and you think about it, you're like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I get, and, and, and you kind of get past that stage faster. Yep. Uh, and then you get to the stuff like where we're talking about the villain motivations. Oh, Remember this? gosh. Okay. Cause so this is one of those opposite. Th- th- this is this is a, almost a long game. This is a long game for us. Yeah. So y- maybe you guys remember this story when when we had when we were doing the the first draft for book one. We we had this whole plan of what we were going to do. I wrote the first draft. Larry read it over, and and we both came to the conclusion after you know after he'd read it and I'd written it and we were talking about it uh, up at his place. We both came to the conclusion that we were missing something. Our main villain was was a little lacking on motivation. And so we started talking about it. We're like, okay, well, what does this mean? Yeah, why? Why? Why is he doing this? What does he actually want? 
And how do we give the reader the first hints of that in reality, in this story? Because you can leave that mysterious, but as the writer, from you can leave it mysterious for the reader, but as the writer, you really kind of need to understand. You need to know. You need to know. And so we came up with some some very early motivations for him, and they were they were really good. Yeah. They were they were excellent motivations. It was very solid. It informed it informed basically the the motivations for the entire final act of Servants of War. But now we're looking at book two. And more than book two, we're looking beyond and saying, okay, well, what is his actual long-term motivation? Because not only are we writing the sequel to Servants of War, we're setting up for the following book, right? Yep. And so this this book is in that kind of weird middle place of having to having to do multiple things. And so we sat down and we said, okay, we really need to hammer down what this guy does. And and why he's doing it. And why he's doing it, how he can do it. Well, and the thing is, we wouldn't have come up with this when we were brainstorming the first book because we hadn't fully fleshed out the cosmology of some of the gods of this right. universe. But by the time we were doing number two, we had. And so now we had kind of a little different perspective on it. As we're flushing it out, we're like, what if he is this? Yeah. And we looked at each other and we're both like, Ooh. whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know, every now and then, you know, and, and, and I did this, Larry did this. We'd bounce an idea out. We're just like trying, kind of throwing stuff against each other just to see if there's anything there. Um, and again, and this goes back to what Larry was saying earlier, where, where it's, it's a peer thing. Um, Larry and I, we don't, we don't, we don't bull crap each other when we're doing these things. We just, we're just like, okay, let's, let's make this work. Yeah. Um, what are, what's cool? Either, Everything is in service to making the book cool. It either clicks for you or it doesn't. And there was more than a few times where I would say something or you would say something. And, and as soon as it popped out, we both kind of went, no, that doesn't yeah, work. It doesn't click. But this, <laughs> yeah. but you know, this you know that the, wicked. you know that the idea is really good when one person says it and then the other person goes, okay, yes. This is like, yeah. And this Holy is, crap. This is like a full heavy metal music video formed. Oh, yes. Uh, it's like so badass. And, and we saw yeah. that. I was like, okay. And that's the beautiful part of like collaboration when you start doing this. And and the ability for, it's the whole the whole thing where, um, uh, what is the word? Uh, where the sum, of, the sum of the parts is greater, or the sum of the whole oh, yeah. is greater than the yeah. parts. Yeah. Synergy. The sum, the sum is greater than the parts. Synergy. I, I can't believe, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Years ago. Synergistic. I yeah, synergistic. It's synergistic, but it really is in that you're, you're, you're corresponding and all, you, your ideas are worth one point and my ideas are worth one point and we put them together and it's worth three points. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, it's the old accounting joke. What's one plus one? Well, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And the, the way the collaboration works is actually kind of cool. I would say a note on that though, if you're collaborating with somebody, once again, remember we Make sure you always have like somebody who can do the final say. Steve and I have a good enough working relationship that we haven't really needed to do that. No. And we, we've known each other for so long and we're on the same uh, page. Yeah. So we're kind of sympathetic on goals. Yeah. Same page. Uh, I was, I, you know, I never intend puns. I and always intend puns. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I am not that guy. Steve is that guy. <laughs> I am that guy. <laughs> so when, uh, 
when we're putting this stuff together, we're on the same page, so no one really needs to put their foot down. But I've, if you do have a junior-senior author collaboration kind of thing where right. one guy is universe owner, and I've had to do this myself, uh, and that that if you, then if you do have a difference, the person that needs to click for is the boss. Right. You know, this is more of a peer collaboration, so we came up with it together, so we don't really have that issue, and we're on the same page. Uh, other times, if I'm with a junior writer, I'll just have to be like, no, we're going to do this, you know, if right. we diverge. Because there are going to be points in time where we are going to disagree. We haven't had that yet on this one, though. No, no. And it doesn't really matter to me. Honestly, I don't I don't know that I really care in, in, in the case of, you, of, of our collaborating process. If we have a disagreement, we have a disagreement. Um, it's not like you and I agree over everything. Um, the, the difference is we're both professionals, um, but we also have, let's call it an extraordinary level of trust in each other. Yeah. If you get a bad vibe, like if I say, I want to do this and you get a really bad vibe off that, even if you can't articulate as to why you get a bad vibe off it, if you got a good working relationship, I'm still going to trust you. And we're like, okay, so we're not going to go that way because Steve gets a bad vibe off it. Right. And sometimes it's a subconscious thing. With all of this storytelling stuff is subconscious. You don't know why it doesn't work. You just know it doesn't work. Right. That's kind of like the best editing advice I ever got from Tony Weisskopf was, this scene sucks, make it not suck. Right. You know? She didn't need to articulate why it sucked. It just did suck. And then I just needed to be told, like, oh, she's right. It sucks. I need to fix it. So honestly, sometimes guys go with your gut when you're collaborating, when you're brainstorming and you had a feeling it's like, we shouldn't do this. There's a reason. You might not be able to put your finger on it yet as to why, but it's one of those things. And then when you spend the time writing it, you're like, oh, oh, that's why. Right. You know, because sometimes your brain will make leaps before your, before your conscious brain gets there. That's right. And, and I also find, okay, so, so we do all this brainstorming. We talk about... We we spend we spent a lot of time in our brain session in our brainstorming session talking about characters and talking about where they were, where we wanted them to go, and what that that arc looks like in between, right? Because at the end of the day, you and I are very character focused. Yeah, this is a very character driven novel. It's a very very character driven novel, and and like we've said before, there there. There is a big difference between, um, between kind of the the high fantasy stuff like like Brandon Sanderson writes, where where magic and and that that cool magiciness or whatever of the book is used to solve the problems. Yeah. Versus what we're writing, which is very, it's very low fantasy, and it's I mean you can almost call it um, sword and sorcery, um, yeah. advanced to a different world. Where magic is kind of typically yucky. Well, it's a complication. It's a complication. And so... If it's the answer, it's a complicated answer. That's right. But in general, for us, people are the answers in our books. And and I think that that's the, the differentiation. One of the things we're doing in this book, too, is we decided early on, one of the themes is we wanted to have a real hero. Oh, for sure. Like a legit hero. And so, yeah, yeah, he's a magical guy who's got like magical powers and special gifts and all that jazz. But really the power of this guy is his character. He's yeah. uh, he's a good man in a bad world. Oh, yeah. It, his 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 uh, his superhero ability is he wants to do the right thing. Which in this setting makes him 
an oddity. Oh, he's a freaking minority in that Yeah, and he's not, he's, but the thing is, he's not a, he's not lawful stupid. You no. know, we're, we're not writing a paladin character. He's, he'll do the dirty stuff that he needs to do. But that was one of the themes we went to. And so when we're asking ourselves these character questions, we're like, you know, like, where are we going? How we're going to get there? That kind of thing. Like, honestly, Natalia is uh, a good person too, but she is way more pragmatic by circumstances. Mm-hmm. Absolutely require that of her. And we have one character who's basically evil. Yeah, Kristoff is... Kristoff is bad. And how do we how do we establish him as being still somebody you root for? Because compared to the bad guy, he's still pretty good. He's still pretty good. <laughs> like he's only horrible. <laughs> yeah. He's he's just pretty bad. Yeah. It's kind of like in World War II. Are we going to side with the communists or the Nazis? You know, it's like they both suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think that that's what it is is even the, the main characters, Natalia, Amos, Alarian, um, and at some, and we are going to bring in another kind of, we've kind of elevated a secondary character to a main character and yeah. that's our trencher Darius. Yeah. Well, uh, and then also Chankov gets, gets some stuff oh, too. Oh, Chankov. Oh, but we can't give too many spoilers. That's Chankov. So, so tragic. If there's one thing I feel bad about in Servants of War, it's, I feel slightly bad about how mean we were to Chankov. Dude, like, he's such a good guy Because too. somehow in the writing process, and we talked about this with, in our, in our episodes about secondary and tertiary characters sometimes those those side characters they just there's something magic about them and i don't mean in, in terms of like magic frou-frou within the confines of the world no. i just mean they there's click. something they, there's they, just something special about them when you're writing them that they, they resonate. just they resonate they come out they stand out whether you want them to or not they stand out from the other uh the other masses of secondary and tertiary characters. And Chankov was one of those guys. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so we do have a very long-term goal for him. Yes. And it's very, very cool. It's very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, we talked about that too. And that was one. That was another one of those ideas where, um, you know, I threw it out there. And as soon as, as, soon as I spoke the words, yeah. we both just went, oh, heck yes. Yeah. Then it's interesting too, because the more you flesh out a world, the more opportunities you have for connections to be yeah. made. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like that that old TV show, like connections, you know? It's yeah. like, yeah, this is like the same kind of thing. And then this, the, 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 the step as we're, as we're at right now is not a final outline. We have a preliminary outline. Because of the preliminary outline, you just, like, I have a lot of things in there. I, I would, I would, uh, I would bold them. I think I, bold, I use bold. Where I'd be writing something like, we didn't answer why. Like, why is this this? Yep. Or what is what is this for? Like, like, and so every now and then I get this and be like, I don't remember talking about this. And I don't remember if we have a solution for this. And so I would put it out there that way. The next time we talk, uh, we can look at that stuff and be like, okay, what, where are our gaps? And yep. some, you don't need to fill every gap in your outline. Just, but just, no. I was just stuff that I was like, okay, this, this is kind of, this might be pertinent, you know? Cause the long thing too, is when you're outlining, you don't want to like step on it and, and like trip yourself up. You know, and we've talked about it many times on the show between uh, outlining versus uh, discovery writing. Because again, Steve goes one way, I go the other. Um, collaboration, you kind of got to outline. You need to outline. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. When you're doing this, though, don't be slavishly devoted to the outline. Like, so if there is, uh, as you're writing it, there's something that's cooler that you think of. I mean, Steve will call me up, be like, "Hey, man, we got this and this, but what if it was this and this?" Yeah. Which we did in the first one. Well, you definitely like, did that in the first one. Steve would be like, hey, I got this guy doing this. What about this? I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Run with it, you know? Yeah. 
So just kind of and, and again, that stuff back and again, and that that does come down to trust again. Yeah. Um, because if I call up Larry when I'm doing this draft and I say, "Hey, dude, uh, I know that we talked about Chankov riding a purple unicorn, but what if instead it's this orange tiger because of X, Y, Z? I don't yeah. know. And 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 Larry's gonna Larry in general is if, again if he feels if he feels that there's something off with it, just intuitively, he'll tell me. Yeah. So for example, like right now I'm working with Jason Cordova on Fever. Right. And I'm going through and I'm, one of the things I do in collaborations that I do well, and I recognize this is a gift that I have as a writer, I'm good at punching stuff up. Uh, I'm you good. very much are. That's, you very much are. That's a gift that I have. Where, where somebody else will write something, and, and I've done this for myself and I've done it for other writers too. Yes. Many that I can't take credit for. But they'll have something, I'll be like, hmm. I've read this, and this this wasn't enough. Yeah. Like, like this chapter wasn't enough. And so, like, what I've been doing is I've been going through, and I've been going back to Cordova, and it's like, hey, you got this scene here. I like this. This is cool. But what if we did this and this, and it'll, it'll increase the tension. Yep. It'll increase, like, the impact. Or the, but, but so usually when I'm collaborating with somebody, I'll try to explain. I won't just – I don't want to just unilaterally change stuff. If, especially if it's the other guy's idea, I want to go back and be like, what if we did this instead? And then usually when I explain my logic, they're like, oh, oh, wow. Okay, cool. And so that's something I am actually, that's a gift that I have. Mm-hmm. And everybody brings different stuff to the table as they do this, but I'm a script doctor, I guess. I'm a, I, I punch stuff up, you know, I, I try to be a John Milius you know, kind of guy. It was really interesting. I, so I did the edits for my short story for Down These Mean Streets. Yeah. Um, and... That that story is my first werewolf cop story. It was a good story. Um, it's a it's a really good story. I, I honestly we turned that in. That's done. I know. That's yeah, completely um, done. Release date is January. Oh yes. Uh, Down these mean streets. So I'm very excited for the story. Uh, I I got I got a set of edits from from Casey, and I and I made those changes, mm-hmm. and then she shipped it over to you. Yep. And then she shipped it back over to me, saying, "Hey, Larry has these questions," uh, and so I went through and I was looking at it. And it's not, none of the edits were like, like, Steve, what the heck were you thinking? You're a moron. No, I didn't make any major edits. But it was, it was, hey, I noticed this thing here. You could do this and it'd be a little bit better. Or I'm confused here. I have a question here. Yeah. It's more of a, it's more of a, almost an observational sort of thing. But the, but the way the the way those notes come to a guy like me anyway, and, and I don't know how, how, how anyone else feels about it, but when they come to me, it feels very much like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I see where Larry's coming from. I understand. And so, you know, I, I think from a person to person level, when you're doing a collaboration, it's very, very important to one, have, have a good amount of trust in the other person. But also for if there is a senior author in this scenario, and look, when it comes down to it, uh, um, at the end of the day here, y- you are the senior editor or, or the senior author in this. Yeah, I've just got more practice. You, you have more practice in this. And so if, if it ever comes down to it and you say, hey, Steve, I really, really firmly think that we need to do something. We need to do X to make Alarian's arc a little bit better. Then I'm going to go, okay, 
Cool. You let's know, let's let's talk about it. We talked about that in the collaborative episode. I do think because sometimes you have it's not that one guy has a bad idea and one guy has a good idea. I think you both have good ideas. Like like you have both collaborators. Like well, let's go this way. Let's go this way. Let's turn right. Let's turn left. And they're both good. They both make a good story. But but you got to pick one. Right. And ultimately, it comes down to make sure any collaborations you do, you have either somebody who's going to be the one that picks. And if you guys, if you are that senior collaborator. Um, you're not always right. Just because just because you got more XP doesn't mean <laughs> that the the other guy is wrong, right? So so be be analytic with yourself. I, I've seen collaborations that are like really crappy ones, where the senior the senior guy just like throws his weight around, and then the junior guy is just scut work. Yeah. You know, that's not cool. That's not cool. I mean, don't do that. That's to me. That seems like a waste. And we got these authors out there that just slap their name on a hundred books a year, and they, yeah. they collaborate, and they don't even read the book. Sometimes it's like, like their junior scut writer does all the work, and then they slap the big guy's name on it. Don't do that. That's just that's that's lame. You know, the greatest compliment I get uh, is at the end when the reviews and people can't tell which parts I wrote and which part the other guy wrote. That right. to me is ideal. Yeah, on a I, collaboration. Yeah, yeah. It's in some of the some of the the coolest things, the coolest reviews I've seen for servants, for example, are, yeah, this is this is really cool. Um, I can't in general, most people can't tell who wrote what. Yeah, except for Christoph. Yeah, Steve wrote most of the Christoph. Yeah, and 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 everyone knows it. Yeah, because yeah. you know, and 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 they say they say, yeah, this is so. This is this is a Larry Korea novel, but with extra darkness. I get it now. I get it, um, and 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 people really like that. Yeah, and and I think that that's the that's the kind of the cool thing too about about collaborations is you can look at the book and you can see the flavors from both people. Well, it's interesting too because everybody's got different gifts. Yeah, and you got to recognize their strengths and their weaknesses and run with it. Like, so, I, so I'm, I'm thinking about Cordova right now. Jason Cordova, very good writer. Yeah, and, and very good writer, like talented dude. Um, but I'm looking at like what he does and what I do. And one of the things I do is like I said, I punch stuff up and I'm a character guy too. Yeah. Uh, I, I am, a, I am all about memorable characters. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking, so when I read through Jason's stuff, it's good. And it'd be a good, even if I had no input on this book at all, it'd be a good book. But I'm like looking as like, so the flavor that I bring is I, I punch up certain things. I tried to make m- characters that pop. I mean, that's just, a, it's a gift I have. It's one of the things I'm good at. So that's one of the things I'm going to try to do with my part of the book is try to make the characters pop and be memorable. And it, it's, it's an interesting thing though, because everybody's got their different strengths. We just like writing with Mike Cooper, Mike's got things that he's really good at that I'm not necessarily good at. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, everybody's got something. So I'm going to say, so guys, when you are the senior, just keep in mind what the other dude is good at and let them be good at it. Yep. Uh, the worst, though, is the one where the senior author just bosses the junior. We talk about the bad ones, but the other one I see is where the senior author will have, um, like, his it's his way or the highway. And the junior author will, like, well, what if we do this? And it's a good idea. And the senior author will shoot it right down because it's not his idea. Yeah, that's a problem. So what you do there, if you're the junior author, guys, you just trick them. And you go, like, hey, so on this one part, you were working on this. And I think you're going for this. And that's really cool. Yeah. But, uh. But wouldn't you? Could, could we explain it a little better? You know, make it think it's their idea. Yeah. And they'll be like, "Oh, that's a great idea! You know, I'm so brilliant." 
Yeah. <laughs> I've seen collaborations that yeah. work that way. I, yeah, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I've seen that um, happen before, and it's hilarious when it goes down. It's really interesting. I've So at this point now, um, with you, and then I have two other authors that I'm working on little collaborations with. Oh, yeah. Can you announce those yet? No. Okay. Because they haven't been... Uh, we're waiting... For one of the collaborations, we're waiting for the covers to be done. Ah, cool. Um, and they'll be they'll be announced shortly. Just In so fact, you guys know, Steve has been really busy. I've been very, very busy. Um, and it's and, and there's even more crazy stuff that literally happened this week as of recording this week that that's changing everything again. Yeah, he, Steve has been hustling. Um, yeah, and I'm very, very tired. Um, I, I kind of sound like Lance Reddick when he's dealing with Bosch right now. <laughs> um, so every time I've brainstormed with these individuals, the results have been very different because each of the, the three different people that, that I brainstorm with you, um, well, one of them I can talk about is the guy's name is Dan Smythe. Um, he and I have good dude. He's a very, very good dude. He's uh he was a chemi- he's a chemical engineer. So he's very, Literal, he's very literal rocket, little scientist. rocket scientist. He was, he was going to go into to rocket fuel. Um, he's very smart. He's very, very smart, especially when it comes to science and technology. And so when it comes to that, when we're brainstorming, I say, okay, cool. Here's the, all these cool ideas. I said, can you make this cool idea work in science? And he'll think about it and he'll say, yes, I can. And then I'm like, all right, cool. We're Which good. It's funny then because the other guy you're writing with. The other guy is a- can't name yet. Is one of the smartest people in the country. Exactly. <laughs> and so working with this guy is very different. Um, I'm like the idiot of this equation. I'm I know. I'm like the dumb I'm, one. I'm very dumb when it comes to these two of guys. Of all your collaborators, I am by far the dumbest and I own that. I, I'm not even going to like, <laughs> I mean, no, they, they like IQ points, I'm- there's a lot more mental horsepower with your other collaborators than there is with yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, and it's very interesting to see some of that in action, right? Well, I'm not dumb, but man, some of these guys are smart dudes. Yeah, and and so it's very it's very different, but it's also it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just different. Jeez, now you just need to wrestle with Rob Hampson. You'll have like the freaking trifecta of big brain super oh, geniuses. <laughs> I don't know, man. If if I do that, then at at a certain point. Like, I just start feeling bad about myself and my own intelligence. Um, you know, I'm dealing with a rocket scientist and, and then and then a dude who, another person who's exceptionally smart, uh, especially in the science realm. Um, but it's really interesting. You brought up something earlier and in, in terms of let people show their strengths. And so when it comes to that stuff, I'm like, you know, I'm writing a draft. And I, and I, and I'll, in a lot of these scenarios, I'll just put a little comment bubble off to the side that says, put science stuff here, right? Make the spaceship go. Make this work. Um, and then, but both of these, these individuals who I'm, I'm working with Dan and then this other guy, um, they both know that when it comes to psychological creep factor and darker stuff, you're really good at that it, it. that it's like, we're going to let you handle that. That's you. Yeah. Um, and, and you and I do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're good at that. You have a um, gift for that. And, and, and so it's really cool. And so, guys, I guess, I guess the whole point of, all, of, of what we're talking about here is 
when you're when you're in the middle of a collaboration, the collaborative process is more than just writing. It's more than just putting words on paper. It goes the, the whole collaborative process starts from brainstorming. It starts from putting ideas down and hashing it out and bouncing ideas off of each other and that that you know that ping pong back and forth in that trust. And so if you if you have a really good collaborator, like we said earlier, the sum of those parts is going to be much greater than those parts, much much greater. I mean, half of these ideas that we came up with for for the sequel to Servants are so much better than if we just I don't know, come up with them individually yeah. and just had run with it because this was like it was like the third or fourth or fifth iteration it was stuff i wouldn't have ever thought of no no way which also keeps you if you're once you're a popular writer too that does keep your stuff fresh because if you're coming up with completely unique things that you would not solutions you wouldn't come up with on your own for your readers that's a treat yeah you oh know? totally because sometimes it's easy for an author to become predictable you write 25 30 novels it's hard to keep it you know fresh and surprising it really is all right. Well, that's all the time we have for you today. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed kind of a, a window into how Larry and I uh, collaborate and brainstorm together. Next time, uh, next time we update you on this process, it'll, we'll be talking about how we outline together. Uh, and, and, and we'll get to that point once we, once we get there. But if you have any questions about anything that we talked about during this, during this episode about brainstorming, feel free to, to shoot them our way. Again, if you're a supporter of the show and that's very easy to become a supporter of the show just go to anchor and you can figure out how to do it there or shoot jack an email and we will always answer supporter questions first as a thank you to you guys because without you supporters um well i mean we'd still be doing this but we would have less fun doing it so thank you again for for being such great supporters and thank you for listening to us listening to us ramble on about who knows whatever the crap we talk about sometimes. Uh, somebody finds it interesting. Apparently. All right. That's all the time we have for you. Thanks again. This is the Writer Dojo. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Yeah, this was mini hours uh, brought to you by Steve cooking a brisket. Oh, yes.